0: pray once again. Are we on today? Okay, I'll use this one. All right, let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so powerful. You have created all things in this world merely by your word. You spoke and it came to be. We pray that your powerful word would when planted in our hearts bring forth fruit not a fruit that is merely superficial that lasts only for a brief time or gives us an emotional high but lord we pray that your word would be transformative and life-changing and making us we pray to the people that you desire us to be we pray in christ's name amen I think it's fair to say that transitions can be challenging. I'm specifically thinking about children facing transition times. And if you're a parent and you're gifted with a little bit of wisdom and you care about your kids, then you try to make a habit not of just springing on your kids some unannounced immediate change. It helps to prepare them for those transitions. So you might give your children heads up and say, Johnny, we got five more minutes of playing and then it's time to what? Head to bed. Or you might say, Susie, we're going to leave to go home soon and so it's time now to begin cleaning up the toys you've been playing with and enjoy before we leave. Or you might say, Johnny and Susie, Uh, Mom and dad are going to go out tonight and your favorite babysitter is going to be here and you're going to be fine and we're going to come home after we spend a little time out. Parents who help prepare their kids for those kinds of changes can be used in those preparation comments and thoughts to sort of calm the fears, to sort of set expectations, to provide assurance that when mom and dad are not around or things are changing and things are not going to be the same, Uh, They don't need to get all uptight and upset. And I'm thinking about this in mind because Jesus, the context in which Jesus speaks these words in John chapter 14, is this specific conversation of him preparing for the next day. He knows it's going to be a brutal death on a cross. They still are probably in disbelief. They don't really know what's coming. And so Jesus is going to provide them all sorts of encouragement and comfort and assurance for that, so that they, being left behind, eventually knowing that there's a big change going on, he's preparing them for that. And so he didn't want his disciples to be in a state of confusion. He didn't want them to know that the road as they go forward uh, is going to be filled with impossibilities. He wanted them to know, what, this is part of the plan, and I'm going to help walk you through all this. And so here in chapters 13 to 17 of John's gospel, we're now in the 14th, but in this bigger section here of the gospel of John, it has a treasure trove of what I would call preparation conversations Jesus is having with his disciples prior to his imminent departure. Now Jesus, in departing, was doing so as a means of demonstrating for everyone to see the extent and the degree of his love for his own. And how is he going to do that? By laying down his life on that cross. Now, he was not going to abandon his disciples, his followers, which is what they probably thought he was going to do. But the question that Jesus explores here is, if he is going to leave, And there's going to be a major change in how one follows Jesus. No longer is he walking beside us and eating with us and talking to us. He's going to be now uh, leaving to go to his father again, eventually ascending to heaven. The question is, what does loving devotion to Jesus look like at that point? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and to show him the kind of love and devotion that they had sought to do when he was here among them? And if you look in John chapter 14, the answer is fairly obvious. It boils down to one word, obedience. Obedience. Not a very thrilling, exciting word that draws all sorts of wonderful, fuzzy emotions in us. The word talk basically means to be compliant with an order. Obedience means to be submissive to another person's authority. And so what we find here, John 14, is doing what Jesus commands is the way to show our loving devotion to our Savior. That's what it means to love Jesus. And this morning, I just want to point out three insights about obedience in Jesus's transitional instruction. What do we learn about obedience? First thing I want to notice is this. During the time that Jesus would be apart from his disciples, he emphasized one distinguishing characteristic. Of those who are genuine believers. One characteristic that distinguishes them, and that is what? Obedience. Point number one, the distinguishing characteristic of obedience. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will love, sorry, he will keep my word. So a follower of Jesus who truly loves Christ will provide over time outward evidence that that love for him is shown by keeping Jesus' commands. Notice that Jesus makes it very clear that loving him is not Primarily having an emotional experience doesn't rule that out, but it's not just that. Notice also that loving Christ is not just performing an occasional act of piety every so often. It doesn't involve those kind of occasional things we do, but it's a pattern of life. To love Christ is a direction in life. It means walking alongside in the same direction that he is going as we follow him. The verb here that Jesus uses in the idea of keep is a, is a present tense word. The idea is that loving Jesus involves more than just listening to him. It involves more than just agreeing with his standards. It involves more than just memorizing or reading occasionally the word of God. It involves more than just insisting that the Ten Commandments be etched on some marble stone and placed outside of some public building. That's not what it boils down to mean loving Christ. True disciples of Jesus love him and obey him as a way of life. Now, a person whose life is headed in the direction of disobedience, that is a person who is not walking in the same direction as Christ, as a way of life, that person has no basis of assurance of salvation at all. 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 Peter 4 teach that those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus do not know God. Now in our day, sorry, in Jesus' day, there were many people who shared a common ancestry. There were many people who had observed faithfully a number of Jewish traditions in terms of their religious observances. But they wrongly assumed that they were the people of God or that they were the special people of God and they had a special relationship with God. And Jesus makes it very clear in this text of Scripture that his disciples are what we would call compliant. They are obedient. They are submissive disciples. So much so that Jesus had a very poignant question in Luke chapter 6. He says, why do you call me Lord Lord, or Master, Master, if you do not do what I say. When Jesus gave his disciples their marching orders, immediately before he ascended to heaven, what did he tell them to do? He commanded them to make disciples of all people groups, right? And that what are those, in making disciples, what does that involve? It involves teaching them to observe, Better word there is to do, to obey, to put into practice all that I have commanded you. So it's important at this point that I try to make sure I haven't brought any form of confusion in what I'm saying here, what the point here is. And I'd like to make that clear by saying, I want to emphasize obedience as a distinguishing characteristic of a genuine believer Affirming that, I want to make sure you understand I am not saying that obeying Jesus is what makes you or any person right with God. Being declared right with God is a gift. It is received by faith. Faith in Christ. And it's done on the basis of grace because of what Jesus has done for you in your place. Obedience, in letter C of your outline, obedience to Jesus is really the fruit of faith. It is the evidence of faith. And so keeping some of Jesus' commands doesn't make anybody a Christian. As a matter of fact, the only one who keeps and has ever kept all of God's commands is Jesus himself. Because he's the only one whose performance record, when it comes to keeping all of the things, all the standards of God, his record was 100%. A plus. He did it all. But starting with Adam, and everyone who's descended from Adam, that includes you, that includes me, all of us have failed to keep the laws of God. Our record is an F. And we've naturally chosen, of course, our bent of our hearts is to love ourselves and to insist that we have autonomy to do as we please. And the result is, of course, we have all of us have a long track record of disobedience. And ultimately, the result of that is we stand condemned before God. But like the gospel, it declares that sinners like you and me we can obtain a righteousness that's not our own. It is a foreign righteousness, is the term that the Reformers used. It's a righteousness that is given to us by Jesus. So that Jesus, who, according to the good news of Romans chapter 5, and the Gospel says this, that Jesus, he gives his righteousness based on his obedience to the Father, he gives that to us as a gift and puts it on our account. That's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Romans 5, 19 says, Through the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners. That's all of us. We all inherited the sinful guilt before God. Even so, through the obedience of the one, that is Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Hallelujah, that's good news. So the question comes to us this morning is, are you trying to earn your righteous standing before God? Has your heart ever been changed by the Holy Spirit to realize that you are a lawbreaker and that you're a person who clearly does not keep the standards of God and you need a righteousness that's not your own? Is there evidence in your life that that work of God has taken place in which there is a, a direction in your life that shows you're submissive to Jesus' authority? Is there an area of your life that you're holding out, refusing to yield to Christ's authority? Think of the example of Saul, King Saul. He was a man of great potential great um, strengths and abilities but boy he sure showed a lot of weakness when it came to this area of being of being obedient to the Lord because he he made his rebellion against God look spiritual he sought to sort of cover it up to put icing on it and to sort of make it seem like it's much better than his life really was If you go back and read one time, and I encourage you to read it later, is 1 Samuel chapter 15. There's an account in which God makes it very clear, very explicitly. He tells the people of God that they are to come and oppose people who are seeking to impose upon them all the teachings of these idols among the Amalekites. And he says, listen, what your plan is is to completely destroy that city and everything that lives in that city. And so time goes by. And the attack takes place. Uh, They carry out a bunch of different uh, means of securing victory over this particular foreign uh, nation. And Samuel comes back and he says to Saul, Saul, how are you doing? Have you done everything God has asked you to do? And Saul says, yes, I sure have. I've kept all of those things that God told me to do. And so soon thereafter, as he's talking, Samuel hears the sheep starting to go, bah! he hears cattle making sounds. It's obvious that he's kept alive various animals, which was there in that culture. That was like um, having a, um, assets. It's like having money in the bank. Good animals are your financial savings account. And so it's clear that Saul did, has spared certain sheep. And he says, oh, I have spared those sheep because I'm going to sacrifice them to the Lord. I've saved the best ones and I'm going to give them to God. Meanwhile, what comes back to him is the statement from Samuel. He says, listen, uh, Saul, to obey God is better than any kind of sacrifice you can offer him. And then he compares disobedience to a rebellious heart that's as bad as, as people who are involved in witchcraft. The point he's trying to make here is that we can try to easily convey the fact that we are obeying God in various areas of our lives, but if there's certain areas that we're compromising, we're still rebelling, we're still saying, no, I'm not gonna yield to that. It is a serious offense before God he desires obedience among his people. And so that's the first character trait in point number one, based on what Jesus is teaching here in John 14. But there's more that Jesus reveals in this text. And then he talks about the inner motivations. Why is this this idea of doing the things that Jesus commands, why are we doing it? And here we come to the inner motive of obedience, the inner motive of obedience, Jesus says the real motive as to why we're to obey him is because we love him. We love him. And I would suggest to you that this is a unique example of, or another example of the uniqueness of the Christian faith. What do I mean there? Well, if you consider other pseudo-Christian cults, if you consider other false religions, so many of them hold out various lists of demands that one must follow. And it's usually a long list of rules, things you have to avoid or things you have to do, so that you don't get left out. The idea is you do this, you get yourself in. If you don't do this, then you're going to be left out. And the motive there among many of these false religions is really to save your own skin. The motive for doing all these things is so that you might attain a good outcome for yourself. And so many false religions, they motivate you out of fear. They motivate you out of a threat, out of some external um, pressure that you must conform to that. You do this or else. But look what Jesus is saying here. Jesus links obedience with a love for Christ. Christ. It's a heart response of love. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It tells us why love is what motivates us. It says, we love God, we love Christ, because He first loved us. His love initiated and took, out, took us into His love. He loved us and, and initiated that love first. And therefore, whatever obedience you find in our hearts is really an overflow of heart loving hearts, overflow of loving hearts. When Jesus kept the law for us in our place by his active obedience, and then in his passive obedience, he died and paid the penalty for the sin of our law breaking before God that we might be fully forgiven, that we might receive a new life. Is it any question that we would want to therefore express love to him and show him how much we are so Appreciative. First John four nine says this By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, to be the, the satisfying sacrifice for our sin before God. When children are fairly young, it wouldn't surprise me if most of them, if you ask them, to be honest, would say that they obey their mommy and daddy. And yes, I do think that children should obey their mommies and daddies. They would say they do so probably because they don't want to endure negative consequences that would follow. That was true of me with my parents. But over time, hopefully, parents can influence the hearts of their children in some ways by God's grace and prayer and uh, consistent teaching and God's word, and over time, see that heart of that child gain maturity and gain wisdom enough to reach the point where the child would obey his mother and father out of love. And not just on Mother's Day. And not just on Father's Day. But they would begin to understand and see differently. And for some kids, they don't figure out that and doesn't really start to connect with them until they become adults and they have their own children. And they begin to see the understanding of how Responding in obedience to the loving commands of a parent is a beautiful expression of love for that one who's already loved them in such a profound way. Again, I'm asking the question, is there love overflowing from your heart toward Christ? Does your heart treasure Christ? With all that he has graciously given you in the gospel, Do you find Christ to be so valuable to you, so wonderful to you? Does your heart long for ways to express love to Christ? My friend, the best way to express your love for Jesus is to do his bidding. Obey his commands. Put into practice what he told you to do. Avoid those things he tells you to avoid. Pursue those things he tells you to pursue the more you think about Jesus's unselfish, sacrificial love shown for you, does that cause your heart to well up with gratitude, motivating you to express your love to him in practical ways? Will you ever forget that powerful story of the woman who has had such a broken life and Jesus has dealt with her in such a gracious and forgiving way And during a meal in which Jesus is reclining at a table, they're all up on their elbow, they all eat with one elbow on a sort of a pillow in a reclining position. They're all around this U-shaped table and they're all eating that way, which is custom at the time. And so their feet are usually away from the table. This woman comes and she is, during that meal, obviously making a scene by crying tears of joy, thankfulness and gratitude taking her hair down, which you're not supposed to do in public. That was a shameful thing to do. She doesn't care. She takes her hair down, and she's drying his feet with her tears, having already cried over them. And so the comments are made about this woman, oh, you're doing the wrong thing. You and Jesus just cuts through it all and just says, listen, this woman is loving much. Why? Because she's been forgiven much. Her heart of love cannot be suppressed she shows it by demonstrative means of true giving of herself well the motive is love and we can't get escape we can't escape from that if you're doing the things that Jesus asks you to do and there's no love there for Christ at all then clearly something's wrong that's not what Jesus has in mind and i want to point a third Reason that sort of builds into this idea of the motivation, and that is that there is such promised blessing involved in obedience. Jesus touches on this in this text. Some people, as we go through life, we have a hard time making this connection between love and obedience. For some people, it just seems like that just doesn't go together love and obey. And so, some of us, I think, have been brainwashed by the world, the world system, by our own flesh, by the devil. Brainwashed to think that if we get our way, if we do what we want, then obviously we're going to be truly fulfilled, we're going to be truly satisfied. And we grow up thinking that any and all authority exerted upon us and it begins to rob us of our Freedom to do whatever we wish to do, we draw the conclusion that that actually ruins all enjoyment of life. I need to be free to be me. Get out of my way. Let me do what I desire to do. It's a free world. We assume that if you follow somebody else's rules, guess what? That's a bad idea. It only stifles my desire to do what I please. And obedient children, if you know anything about our world today, if you find a child who's actually compliant, a child who actually does what's being told to them by the authority, they're made fun of. They're teased. They're mocked. And I want us to notice here in this text that Jesus counters this distortion that we have sort of breathed in in our world that is so contrary to God's ways, notice that Jesus promises a number of blessings to those who love God and keep his commands. Did you catch those when you read the text? Look at verse 21. He who keeps my commands, sorry, he who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. And will disclose myself to him. Verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. And then if you look in chapter 15, the next page over, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Again, the world says we're being robbed. We're missing out on the enjoyment of life because so many demands are placed upon us by Christ. It's so restrictive. But Jesus says what? I'm promising you that you will To those who love me, to those who demonstrate their love for me by obeying my commands, you're going to enjoy a deep and profound closeness with the triune God. What he says here is absolutely mind-boggling when he talks about the sense of of companionship that is promised here for those who follow Christ's ways. He he insists that our lives lived in the direction of obeying Jesus' commands. We will therefore be given this Privilege of entering into communion of this divine love. It always has existed, the eternal love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We're going to join in this amazing expression of love among the members of the Godhead, and we will enjoy that love as well. Now I can't fully understand all that. But what he's saying here, it seems to me, is he's saying you're going to enjoy something that is absolutely beyond description. Crazy good. And he goes and compares himself. He says, Just as I, Jesus, have continually enjoyed the love expressed between myself and my Father, and I have this deep intimacy and satisfying joy with the Father, so you will be able to enter into that as you do this submission unto me and to my ways. Instead of being cut off from me, Jesus says, when I depart and I'm leaving you now, I'm going to go into this new way of doing ministry where I'm no longer standing beside you and right here with you all the time, but I'm, I'm going to give you my spirit who's going to live within you, he says, and there's going to be ongoing communion, closeness, and companionship. My friend, that is our greatest need today is for greater closeness, communion, and companionship with the God who made us. And that's what he promises. Not the destruction of life, but it sounds like the fullness of life is what he's offering to us. And I would also like to add to this the comment from 1 John chapter 5. When it comes to the blessing of obeying Jesus, John the Apostle reminds us that Jesus' commands are not burdensome. They are not heavy burdens. They are not irksome. They are not uh, things that are out to destroy our life and make life so difficult, weighed down with all this stuff. But his commands are actually for our good. They're for our good. Oh, how many blessings are going to await the members of a family who will adopt and put into practice God's commands. What blessings would they enjoy? Imagine children obeying their parents. What an amazing blessing that is when you see children compliant with their father's and their mother's commands. First-time obedience is something that when children are willing to do that, what a beautiful thing in a family. What about A family where the words and the speech spoken by the parents is offered in such a way that it is seasoned with grace? It is words that are building people up around them? For those who hear them, actually helping them become encouraged and edified? What happens if there's a family where there's patience that abounds in every situation? or you have people who will serve each other and help, help each other out when they're doing tasks in the daily rigors of life. What a taste of heaven on earth when we follow Jesus's ways. And I would also add to that, of course, that when we follow the ways of Christ, there's such a blessing of a clear conscience There's no need to hide things. There's no need to be putting walls up and being secretive. I want to conclude with an illustration here about, again, God's commands are not burdensome. They're actually very good. I heard this illustration. I don't remember where it was, but uh, the benefits of God's commands. And by the way, God's commands are called the law of liberty in James chapter 1. Interesting. Usually we think of laws as being that which you know, restricts and, and sort of um, uh, hinders life and enjoyment of things. But anyway, it talked about a river. And I grew up um, in the, the capital city of West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia. And running through the middle of the city is a river, Kanawha River. And it is um, it's a, it's a beautiful river and has very high steep banks on either side. And then it has boulevards and avenues on streets running on either side of it. Capitol Building is right there on the river. It's really a beautiful place. And that river, if it ever had lots of rain come, and my grandfather told stories, he says, when I was a kid, that river overflowed its banks and all of downtown was flooded. And since that time, they've put a number of of dams on the river. But whenever you have a river that overflows its banks, it is bad news. Here, flood water allowed to go anywhere and allowed to go everywhere, ruins houses, destroys crops, and prevents people from any kind of land-based transportation, right? We've seen it in Houston This not too long ago, this unbelievable amount of flooding. But when you have flowing uh, flood water in a river that's held in check by steep river banks, then what happens? It restrains that water. It channels that water. And therefore, the potentially destructive force of the river is avoided. And therefore, it serves good purposes. People can be transported on that river. And uh, and it helps uh, continue its accomplishment of... Um, of maintaining the control of the huge forces involved in that river. Now, what's the point here? I think those riverbanks are sort of like God's commands, God's laws, when in place, they provide tremendous blessing to us. When our behavior crosses over the boundaries of God's riverbanks, his limits, it leads eventually to destruction, It leads to serious damage. Whether it's in our marriage, if we choose to go over those boundaries of God's commands, oh, what sad, sad destruction happens. In our business practices, in our financial dealings, in our sexual expression and ethics, in our civic life, Yielding to those who are law enforcement officers. Or even in our church life where where the writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders. There is blessing that comes with those who will obey and submit to God's laws. So my question comes back again. Do you love Christ? He loves you. He's given himself for you. Let us be a people who love him by following his ways and being obedient. Let's pray. Our Father, we once again realize that when the standard is 100% obedience, all of us have failed. And we thank you that Jesus never failed he obeyed every, in every way and on every day. And we thank you that he is our hope. He is the one that we can obtain right standing before you based on his record of obedience. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who realizes how, fall, how far short they have come in keeping your laws. Knowing that every day, knowing that one day all of us will have to give account of ourselves before you face to face. We pray, Lord, that you would draw any and all of those, Lord, who need to know forgiveness in Christ. Draw them, we pray, to Christ today. Give to them, we pray, confidence that Christ's obedience is enough. And I pray that you give to each one who comes, Lord, in humble faith, a new heart, a new desire, a new motivation for living. And Father, also come to you burdened for those who among us may, like Saul, be compromising. There may be areas of our lives, Lord, that we have try to diminish the seriousness of our disobedience, and we're trying to tolerate these things. And Lord, we pray that even today you would convict us, you would impress upon us in our conscience that we would take action to do the things that we perhaps have been uh, spiritualizing or making it sound better than it really is. But Lord, help us to be obedient and to not hold back and not to use excuses and not to rationalize. Lord, make our love for you such that we would joyfully, willingly surrender anything and all things to you. We pray that you would work this in our hearts through Christ our Lord. Amen.